If you look with me, I am asking you to look in your Bibles in the book of Romans. That is a book in the New Testament. But let's look at Romans chapter 11. That's right towards the end. Verses 33 and 34. And I'm going to be reading out of the, what's my version? The New Living Translation, which I choose from Scripture. And this is the word of the Lord in Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give Him advice or counsel? Who has given Him so much that He needs to pay it back? For everything comes from Him and exists by His power and is intended for His glory. All glory to Him forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I am so glad that you are in my life. You see, because a lot of people outside of these walls don't really know and don't really have an idea that God can be involved in their lives. That's not part of their thinking. And as we approach this idea of God's generosity, I want to share today with you that, God's ne- that God is very generous. God is amazingly generous, and He's very generous in terms of nature. As I was explaining later, how amazing and how beautiful it is the fall. But the amazing thing is that the temperatures from the summer don't drop like boom, like, like, like an abyss suddenly into the 20s. I think that is the demonstration of God's grace and generosity in allowing the seasons from changing from the cold weather to the hotter weather with what I call the grace of the fall and the spring. Where God in God's mercy is blessing all creation in this latitude around the world with the changes of seasons in a gradual manner. Not suddenly. That's grace. That is God showing tender, loving care to God's creation. Now this idea that God is very generous in in nature is very prevalent. How many kinds of peaches are they grown in Georgia? Do we know? I know. I found out, well, the the Department of Agriculture of the state of Georgia claims that there are two main categories of peaches. But these two main categories of peaches split up into 40 different categories of peaches that are grown in the state. Now, South Carolina competes with that one. We won't deal about that. We'll go to the border of South Carolina. We have to deal with that. But, but, you know, that's the idea. There are 40 different kinds of peaches. How, how many of you ladies love the flowers called asters? You know how many kinds of asters there are? 200. And you have one that you just got at Home Depot and you thought that was the bong. Oh, there's 200 more to get. Now, how about orchids? And ladies in South Florida and men in South Florida, they love their orchid collections. And you go driving around South Florida and you see those black uh, tented little spaces. That's where the uh, orchids are in the black mesh covered from the bright sun. How many kinds of orchids do you think there are? 900. 900 kinds of different 
orchids. And this is just the beginning. Now, let me do some creepy crawly things. How many kinds of insects do you think there are in this world? Actually, I read this amazing comparison. There are as many insects right now in this time and hour as there have been people throughout the ages. You see, you want to get scared. It's not the, it's not the uh, army that's been put somewhere else. It's the insects that can come and take over. And they make that point very, very clear when you go to Animal Kingdom in Disney. And you go to Insect World. You come out of there thinking, hmm. <laughs> and a little bit curious. But God's creation in nature is a demonstration of his generosity. Amazingly enough, I'm talking about of us people who live in the template zone. How about of those individuals who live in the desert? Do they get water? Yeah. Somehow, somewhere, there are what are called oases. And there is what are called wadis. Wadis are dried up creeks. And therefore, there are rains in seasonal periods. We hear in Scripture in the Psalms about the snow that melts into the water and the water that comes from Mount Hermon and flows into the rivers of Israel. So God, in God's generosity, has provided food, shelter, and water for all creatures around the world. Actually, what I find out as I study and I look for God's generosity in nature, what I have stumbled in inadvertently or perhaps by providence is that God is a God of generosity. God is not only generous in nature, but the nature of God is generosity. God is a giver, not a taker. Can I repeat that? God is a giver and not a taker. Uh, the Dead Sea, uh, you may have read in the, in the newsletter, the Dead Sea actually fl- receives water from several smaller bodies of water. It receives water from the Jordan, but it also receives water from 27 other different rivers, creeks, or wadis into the Dead Sea. How many rivers, creeks, or brooks are birthed out of the Dead Sea? None. Zero. And as I wrote in the newsletter, I wonder if that's why it's called the Dead Sea. Because God, who is a God of life, who is a God of eternity, finds himself, finds God's self to be a God that is generous. A God that loves to give, to give, and to give generously, to give in a radical manner. Actually, our text here. Uh, uh, Paul is kind of in a situation having difficulty because Paul in chapter 9, 10, and 11 of Romans is trying to describe the relationship that the Jews, the Gentiles, and the now church have from eternity. And he is trying to figure out what what has been God's master plan. These verses, according to many colleagues of mine, are very complicated according to them and are very difficult to figure out. Actually, it is suggested that towards the end of the chapter, Paul is so overwhelmed of the wonderful mysteries that he was looking at. He was so overwhelmed of the generous wisdom that God was bestowing in him as he began to see a unit, as he began to see God's purposes and God's plan in a unit, and he just has to stop in awe. And say the words, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. 
how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. And then he borrows out of Isaiah the famous statement, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who know enough to give him advice? And from Job, he borrows the amazing statement, and who has given so much to the Lord that the Lord owes him back anything? He is the God that is sovereign. He is the God that is a creator. He is the God that sustains all of his creation. In Psalm 149, we read amazing words that are like, uh, in Psalm 145, verse 9, it says, The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. Further down in the verses, the Lord helps the fallen. Who's the fallen? Everyone is fallen according to our Reformed theology and our biblical understanding. Everyone is fallen. So the Lord helps the fallen and lift those bent beneath their loads. Their eyes, the, the eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food. You give them their need. You, you supply their need. When you open your hands... You satisfy the hunger and the thirst of every living thing. God is a God who is a giver. He is not a taker. God lives with his hands open to give. Theologically speaking, what we're dealing with is common grace. Those of you who are theologically inclined, that's what we're dealing with. And common grace is defined as the grace from God that bestows wellness to all of God's creation. That's what common grace in a nutshell is. It's God's goodness to all, no matter their status on earth. Jesus even uh, reaffirms the idea that God is a God that is good for all people. When Jesus says in Matthew 5, uh, 545, that the rain and the sun falls over both the just and the unjust. We know that one. But you see, common grace is more than just having rain fall upon people around the entire earth. It's just not only that God is good to people. How is God good to all of us? Well, the first idea of common grace is that God's goodness and, ger and generosity is towards all creatures. God's goodness and generosity is expressed to all creatures. Not all creatures respond like some of us have responded to God's goodness and generosity. But that is a fact. God's goodness and generosity is to all people. Secondly, God's restraining, God's common grace, the grace that sustains, the grace that holds together our creation that is in a sinful and broken state, God holds back the manifestation of that sin. Can you imagine if God's common grace was not active in our lives, in our world, the worst in every one of us would have come out? That's what happens. If God does not withhold back the evilness in each one of us, our potential. We talk about Hitler being a, an awful evil. Yet when I have a young man telling me about Hitler being an awful evil, I face him and say, you know what? You have the potential to have become that. You have the potential to have become the worst evil person in this world. We all have that potential. Yet in God's common grace, the manifestation of that ultimate evil is withheld, is held back. We read it in, 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 in the history when God is 
changing the heart. When God is hardening the hearts of Pharaoh so that Pharaoh will do the evil things. And then God changes the heart of Pharaoh so that Pharaoh then pulls back. So we see how God also, in God's generosity to all the world, the God who is a giver, not a taker, gives us a relative safety and security. It could be worse, people. It could be a lot worse. Thirdly and finally, God's common grace is also manifested in humanity as we human beings, as people from camp, as people from must, as people from the United Way, which by the way, have you noticed the commercials? It's that time of the year to give. So the United Way, have, now they have commercials on TV in this season. How humanity itself, the common grace and the common generosity and goodness of God is manifested in society as society also is generous to supply needs of their common fellow women and men. Now, I like to illustrate that, yes, this is a goodness that is manifested in society, but this goodness also has a little bit of selfishness because I love when the bankers and the company people are giving those checks around this time of the year to organizations. Who do they call first? The Atlanta Journal-Constitution because they want that donation to be put where? In what section? In the business or social section, why? So it was really not that altruistic. We have our reasons, marketing. See? But yet, yet, even though it's done with those selfish motivations, it does do and practices the common goodness that God has for all people. This is the God that I'm telling you about. This is the God that is not a taker, but God that's a giver. This is a God that's such a giver that his generosity has been misunderstood, and it's been said, oh, he wastes the riches on the paupers. He wastes the riches on the foolish. But this is the God that's a giver and not a taker. This is a God that gives breath to all. And by giving breath to all, he gives you life. And by giving you life, he gives you the opportunity of healing and restoration. This is a God that gives nourishment to all creation. One way or another, through some molecule or some other atom, things are getting nourished. Way down at the bottom of the dark seas, where we see those weird animals with a little lamp. They get nourished down there. Because God is good to all his creation. This is the God that gives nourishment. This is the God that gives abundantly to all who's willing to receive. This is the God that gives power for you and I to be successful in the vision that God gives us. This is the God that gives the vision, that gives the strength, that gives you the motivation and the inspiration to continue even in spite of what the doctor may say, what the calendar may say. In spite of any of that. This is the God that inspires all through God's songs and God's psalms. Inspires us through his word and through friendships and relationships as we go in the journey of this broken life. This is the God that gives faith, that gives hope, and amazingly gives amazing grace to all who is willing to receive it. This is the God of wisdom and knowledge. This is the God that gives rain. This is the God that gives sun. And this is the God that gives beauty even in the desert, even in the desert. And my beloved, this is the God that also gives eternal life so that you can not only close your eyes here and wonder what's going to happen, but that you have the certain knowledge that the minute you close your eyes in this realm, the minute you open them next, you're going to be in God's presence. That is a promise. This is the God that gives grace that we don't even deserve. This is the God that gives compassion 
mercy, and new opportunities for each one of us to restart, to recommence, to change and do something and become something better in our lives and in the world that we live. This is the God that gives you a song in the night. And this is the God that gives you joy in the morning. This is the God that gives. This is the God that gives. This is the God that gives, gives, and gives, and continues to give. If we live our lives holding on to that which we have, if we live our lives clenching to the stuff that we think we own, how many of you own your homes? Yeah, right. We know that. Next in line is the county. If the inheritors don't do something. If you keep your hands clenched with what you think you have that belongs to you, and you keep your armors folding, holding on to that which belongs to you, guess what? You are in no position of receiving anything new. Look at my body. Can I receive anything new? Can any of you give me a piece of paper for me to hold? Not even. But the minute... The second we begin to release what's really not ours because everything that we have has come from the Lord. As Jesus reminds us in the Gospel of John, everything that we have received has come from God. So as we unclench our arms, we're able to receive something. But the reality is that as we open our hands and become givers, and not takers, givers, and not takers. Can you do that body motion with me? Givers, not takers. Because he who gives, guess what? Receives. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for teaching us your amazing love, your amazing grace your amazing nature of generosity, how you are a God who gives inexhaustibly, irresponsibly perhaps to people who we think don't deserve it. But you give so generously. You give so abundantly that we even hold back, that we even don't believe it at times, that we credit ourselves and others for what has come from the generosity of your hand. Forgive us for thinking so Silly. Help us to acknowledge to be givers. And if we learn to be givers like Jesus, then it's a step further to give sacrificially of yourself. But thank you for teaching us your generosity, for making us aware how it is manifested throughout the world, and we ask you to make it real in our lives. And tell the story to others this week. Make us givers. Help us to unclench our arms and our hands so that when we can give, we can receive. Through Christ our Lord, we thank you. Amen.